Welcome to Drinks at Work with Sam Bygrave. That's me. This is a show about rewarding and creative careers in and around the world of drinks. On this episode, I'm speaking with a friend and someone who I think embodies the spirit of hospitality, Sam Ng. Sam started his career in the business in the kitchen as a chef, but he wanted the social interaction that came with working the bar. His career began to take off when he worked at the Melbourne Cocktail Institution for Black Pearl in the early 2010s, and Sam was the first brand ambassador for Four Pillars Gin. By the way, we recorded this a few days ago. In case you're wondering why we don't talk about the news, that Four Pillars has sold the remaining half of its business to the multinational drinks company Lion for a rumored 50 million bucks. That's why we haven't talked about that. Sam went on to Singapore, crisscrossing the Asia Pacific as an ambassador, but then made the choice to leave the corporate ambassador life, wanting to open his own bar in Singapore. He's recently done just that, opening Puffy Boys a month or two ago, so we talk about why he came back to venues, what he learned working at Four Pillars and the Black Pearl, and get his advice for building a big, interesting career in drinks. You might notice that there's a little less back and forth in this episode. We were plagued with some connection issues, so thank you to Sam for persevering with that. Okay, let's get into my chat now with Sam Ng. Sam Ng, welcome to Tricks at Work from Boothby. Hello, Sam Bygrave. Very happy to see your smiling face all the way from over there in Singapore. Um, you've just last sort of six weeks or so you have opened your own first venue uh after having done a a range of jobs being a bartender and all that sort of stuff uh and i'd love to get into what that is about but first would we ought to tell us the origin story how'd you get into bars in the first place um well a little while back and i say a little while back it's quite some time ago now (laughs) uh i was in university uh studying and i uh i really wanted to be a chef so like all smart things to do, I quit, became a dishwasher um, <laughs> and then went into cooking school and then realized I didn't meet any girls. So I became a bartender instead. And that's kind of yeah. how I yeah. fell into bartending. As Just, <laughs> and you, you worked for quite a time at the Black Pearl in, in uh, Melbourne, didn't you? Yeah. It's a yeah, beautiful yeah, place absolutely. for a lot of people at the Black Pearl. Can you tell us what it was about that bar at that time? Yeah, I mean, if you'd been to Black Pearl around that era, that sort of 2009 to 2014, 15 era, you know it was a special place to be in. Um, it was a site of lots and lots of great times and yeah. parties. And But the team there is what made it really incredible. Like, I'm sure a lot of the faces and the names will be known to people now, maybe younger bartenders maybe may not know them, but like people like Chris Heisted, Nathan Beasley, Dan Gregory, Evan Stanley, Rob Libikins, you know, just to name a couple, let alone the people that were there before us in like AD and Rob and Tim. I mean, there are some massive names that have gone on to do some really incredible things. And for me, like I, I tacked onto the back of that when I was just starting to bartend. Um, and it was truly a, like a perfect storm of talent um, and the right place at the right time and just some incredible people. Yeah. What, what were some of the big things you learned at the Pearl? Like what, what are the lessons that you took away from working with uh, some of these like great big luminaries in the bar world? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the first lesson that every bartender should learn, well, certainly for me, was don't be a dick, right? It was on a, it was on a card behind the bar at the Black Pearl on a red card, you know, and that was one of the big ones. Like, don't be a dick, but also learn how to talk to everybody, right? Like, yeah. truthfully, it's really not all about the drinks. It's not all about the cocktails. I mean, yes, it's imperative that you make them and make them well, but really that's not why people go into bars and then stay in bars. It's about that hospitality level. Hi, how are you doing? How's your day been? And then learning how to converse. 
Um, I still remember one of the first lessons I learned was from Rob Libikins. Um, and I was standing behind the bar. And one of the first times that Cristiano Beretta, another one of the incredible names that were there and still a very good friend, he, um, he was doing the yeah. dishes, which is, you know, completely unnecessary for the general manager of the place. Um, and he put me on the bar with Rob. And Rob turns around to me, grabs my hand, takes out his Sharpie and puts a dot in the middle of my palm. And he goes, anytime you see that dot, go and talk to somebody. And basically what he meant was, don't be boring, don't be quiet behind the bar, go and generate some chats somewhere. Um, and that's probably the biggest lesson I, I learned from the Black Pearl. Yeah, right. The other one is don't close early. Never close early. <laughs> 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 why, why, why is not closing early important? I mean, if you, okay, so I get it. You want to save staff costs. You want to do, you know, you want to make sure things are okay. But the less people realize you are open, the more likely they are to not come into your venue. So if you say you're going to close at one o'clock in the morning, but it's been dead since 10 and you close at midnight and someone walks in at 12, 15, hoping to get a cocktail, maybe a couple of hospo crew or maybe some late night party goers. I mean, when they realize they can't, they're not going to come back the next time or they're going to wonder why you were closed. Yeah. But if you're open until one, they come in at 12, 15, they might bring some friends in to come in at 12, 15 next time. And all of a sudden you become that late night spot or that early night spot. Um, it's really yeah. just about that trust aspect. Um, so we, we never close early at Puffy Boys. Um, last night we were super quiet. We had some great people in early, but we had not many people in after, you know, 10 o'clock. So we still stayed open until midnight. Uh, still kept the pizza yeah. ovens on and the ice cold. So, yeah. You were the first ambassador for Four Pillars Gin uh, there in here in Australia. And then uh, you then went on to work on the brand in Singapore. I think that's what took you over yep. there. What are, the, what are the big lessons you learned from your time as an ambassador for Four Pillars? You've been an ambassador for another brand as well. Yep. Monkey Shoulder. What, what are the big things you learned? I think when you when you become an ambassador, first of all, uh, you represent the company, right? So you've got to, before you even take the job, before you even consider being somebody that represents something, you've got to love it. You know, I, I loved Four Pillars. I still love Four Pillars. I've got a bunch of Four Pillars on the back bar of my bar. You know, I respect it. And that's the reason why I took the job. I, I, I liked where they were going. I liked their ambition. Um, I mean, I learned a bunch of lessons uh, from them and I learned a bunch of personal things as well about myself and about being uh, in another country and on the road. But I think, you know, for Four Pillars Gin, um, what, I, what I learned was that you have to have a passion and a belief in what you're doing to really make it successful. And it doesn't help to own a PR company and have one of the greatest brand minds potentially in the world, certainly in Australia, you know, in, in both Stu and Matt. And then Cam is also just, I mean, he's just incredible. So having a base is really important, but um, believing in what you have uh, and making it work is super important. Okay, so let's let's talk about uh, Puffy Boys now. This is your first yeah. foray into owning a venue for yourself. Mm -hmm. What's the what's the elevator pitch for this place? What what's it all about? Um, well, it's it's really simple. The offering is super simple. Um, the mentality is all about having cracking food, cracking drinks, and a cracking vibe. Um, ideally, it's the kind of place you want to sit down with your mates and just enjoy yourself. I mean, that in a nutshell is the simplest thing. So. You know, we've put a heap of thought into the food itself. Um, the drinks, of course, we put a lot of effort into and, and curation. But, you know, like when you walk into a place, you don't eat and drink straight away. You know, so what does the entrance look like? What does the music feel like? What's the room vibe like? So, you know, probably a bit beyond the elevator pitch, really. But, uh, you know, it's a thought process of it coming together as a holistic thing from the very beginning and then also from a business side which you want to talk about later that's uh that's yeah. another that's another thing altogether yeah 
Well, yeah. So where does the name come from, Puffy Boys? What, 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 what's the food that you're doing there? So um, <laughs> it's a funny little story. So I'm sure you know uh, Mr. Young, Bobby Carey. Um, Bob and I, we did a, a random pop-up one time. I'm sure um, for those of you who are listening and don't know me so well, um, I like fried chicken <laughs> quite a lot. I know Sam Bygrave. You well, also you, by, you've taken me chicken. on a fried chicken tour of New Orleans before. So, yeah. <laughs> You know what? And I still say that's as much fun, if not more fun, than doing the bunch of bars in New Orleans. It's uh, you just got to try not to crack your tooth. That's um, yeah, that's that's probably the one tip for New Orleans. Absolutely, that I would say. <laughs> um, but to get back to the story, um, Bob and I were doing a random pop up at our friend's um, cocktail bar um, just because we wanted to have a bit of fun, right? Um, and so I had. Over the the COVID months, had yeah. a lot of time to play with fried chicken. We did a fried chicken pop up, and ended up being called uh. Crispy Boys. Um, and then I was doing a bunch of pizzas too because I bought a pizza oven during pop up, um, and I posted <laughs> one with an especially puffy crust. Um, and one of my friends um, uh, from PDT, um, the very wonderful Jeff, he he commented, "I'm like, oh, that's that looks puffy," and I'm like, yeah. He's a puffy boy. Um, and it kind of just sort of came together from that. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm a little fat. I'm okay with this. I enjoy eating fried chicken and pizza. And it kind of just sort of stuck. It was kind of a fun, irreverent name to give to a venue. Um, and that's how the name Puffy Boy was born. So, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks Jeff, and Instagram. I appreciate that. <laughs> and so it's you uh- – uh, you've got a partner in the business as well, right? Yeah. So his name's Zul. Zul and I, um, we worked together when I started in Singapore with Four Pillars. Um, so Zul right. worked on the brand side of things. Back then it was called Brand Connect. Um, and Zul has, believe it or not, Zul's never um, worked in hospitality uh, full-time on the service side of things. Um, so he's done the distribution side, but he is, he's, a, he's an ex-lawyer. Um, so I, I find yeah. it really funny that the first venue he's ever worked in, he also co-owned, uh, which is <laughs> quite the track record, if you ask me. Um, but he, he's been yeah. he's been incredible. He's been incredible support, um, and he's also picked up an amazing amazing set of skills, um, especially the pizzas. So Zul normally does the pizzas in the venue, and I normally take care of the drinks. Um, but we are crossing over and trying to grow our skill sets a bit more um, to give Zul a bit more of a um, you know, uh, a wider um, field of talents, um, certainly. So, yeah, Zul's also my business partner, and he's one of my closest friends in Singapore as well. So. How, how did you go about getting this um, off the ground, like find like the brick and mortar space? Because you, you mentioned that you've mm. done some pop-ups and takeovers and that sort of thing. Yeah, yes. How did you find the space? Yeah, so, I mean, like, during, uh, I guess, the COVID period was when I learned how to make pizza because that was one of my fascinations. And then we kind of took it further to making um pizzas and doing poppers and all the rest of it but um uniquely we because zul hasn't worked um a full-time hospitality job and he's never done kitchen work and i'm sure you know just like the bar kitchen work can be stressful there's a lot of knives involved and a lot of heat um so we actually wrote just the concept by um basically renting a hawker stall space so in singapore you can you can rent hawker stalls for quite cheaply and we actually had a hawker stall before we started um yeah. puffy boys on bali lane and it wasn't a pizza shop it was actually an indian shop called um non limited um 
because, you know, as you do one night, you're having a few glasses of wine and you're like, oh yeah, we should just like, yeah. we should just do something interesting and different whilst we're figuring out, you know, whether or not we can do the pizzas. And yeah, we'll, we'll make naan bread because that's similar enough to pizza dough and we can do it and we can just do a couple of naan breads every day and, you know, you can call it unlimited. Ha ha ha. That'll be amazing. Open the wine, please. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so really, that's how we got the hawker stalls. We looked into that, and as we were doing the hawker store, that was sort of a proof of concept. So we managed to get it very cheaply. Um, I wanted to make sure Zoom yeah. wouldn't kill me um, before we started on our main venture, um, and he was he was incredible. Uh, and we did a hawker stall open three days a week, progressive, easygoing Indian food. We called it Indian-ish cuisine because you know we didn't want to um, take from the culture and. and you know, not be respectful to it, right? Same, same way we approach the pizza. Yeah. So whilst we were doing that, we were looking for a space. And I honestly, we looked at so many spaces. And I'm sure anybody that owns a venue yeah. um, or has thought about owning a venue understands the pain of rental um, and the pain of rental costs. And in Singapore, that is by far and away the biggest obstacle to making money in a venue in Singapore. Um, you know, so we looked at a bunch of different spaces. We had an idea. Um, to rent a space in a train station. So, have, have you been to the um, the Tokyo Station Ramen Street uh, in Tokyo Station in, in Japan, Demi? No, I haven't. No, I've never been to Japan, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Ramen Street in Tokyo has, I think, it's eight ramen joints, um, all real little stores. And in Singapore, there's a lot of these underground train station walkthroughs as well, with a lot of sort of casual food. But there was nothing that um, is quite as interesting as what I thought we might be able to do, uh, which was pizza and cocktails. Um, so initially yeah. we looked for a space in a train station, believe it or not. Um, we pitched it to the government. They liked it or wow. the, the body that was uh, authorizing it. And we just couldn't quite get it off the ground. And then we ended up looking for about, I don't know, 10 other different spaces and developing concepts and ideas. So it took us quite a while. Um, and then right before Christmas, um, when I went back home to Australia to, to visit friends and family, um, I came across this horrific listing on, um, we call it property guru, but it's like domain.com yeah. you know, or realestate.com. Um, and so I contacted the agent, went to have a look at it and the space was not, um, what's, how's a way to, how's a nice way to put this politely. It was not the greatest space to come into. Um, yeah, but. Walking in, it's in an area called Bugus, which is right next to Atlas Cocktail Bar, actually. Nice. Um, yeah. And it's a really vibrant, um, really interesting area, quite bohemian, lots of graffiti, um, right next to like one of sort of the most interesting streets in Singapore, Haji Lane. And so anyway, I walked upstairs, second story level, shop house building. Um, and whilst it didn't look great, you could see the potential in the room. Um, there was literally nothing in there. The kitchen was horrific. Um, the storeroom was beyond horrific you know <laughs> broken vinyl on the floor it was, it was pretty rough um so we had a chat with the agent and they were not asking a huge amount of money which is really nice um and so given the condition we bargained them down a little bit and we took the conversation from there and that is what ended up becoming 20a barley lane aka coffee boys and where i'm sitting now um so yeah we found a space and then it took us quite a bit of time to develop it because um, funded pretty much the whole project uh, myself, just with my savings, and then a, a kind, small uh, offering from uh, you know a close friend and family. Yeah. Um, but we we built the majority of the stuff ourselves. 
Um, so we had to build a build our bar, um, the actual structure of it. Um, and we learned to concrete render. So we concrete rendered all the walls, we'd rip up the floors, redid the floors and rebarnished them. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was really uh, all hands on. And I say all hands on mine and Zool's for two <laughs> two solid months um but we learned a lot we learned to you know i learned how to mount shelves and wire yeah. led lights and you know concrete and concrete seal and all the rest of it um so it was certainly uh, an interesting endeavor but set, like one i would definitely recommend to anybody that wants to start something on the cheap you know inverted commas on the cheap um and have their own vibe and venue because it's certainly a learning process and I guarantee nothing goes right. Like nothing ever, ever goes right. <laughs> what, what was it? What was the thing that got you back into venues as opposed to, say, working in the corporate drink side or being an ambassador mm. and that sort of thing? Why did you want to come back and, and open your own thing? Yeah, Had sure. So I mean, like, yeah, yeah. So I, I loved, uh, I love being an ambassador. It was super fun. Um, it was in a time of my life where I was ready for um, a different adventure. Um, and yeah. I definitely got that. I mean, I did loops of Asia so many times. I have the, the very fortunate opportunity to travel to places uh, more than three or four, five, six times and yeah. got to know the local crew, got to know the bartenders, got to see what they were excited about. Um, and so I love being an ambassador. Um, but when I worked, uh, you know, with Monkey Shoulder, I could see that being ambassador was not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I kind of looked up the structure and I realized, you know what, I don't have the skill set and I don't have the, the education to dictate the kind of um, path and destiny that I wanted to choose for myself. Mm. Um, no, no, no slate on monkey shoulder at all, but you know, I was never going to be MD or, you know, VP of, monkey, yeah. uh, of, of, well, of Will and Grattan's sons. Cause one, I didn't have a master's degree in business or economics or law or finance, you know, or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah, um, sure. my take to begin with. Yeah. So um, I realized to do that and to dictate my own future, I realized I would have to create it myself. Yeah. Um, so I had a little bit of money saved in the bank, not a huge amount, but I realized that I had a skill set that I could tap. And, you know, I'm, I'm 21 years in hospitality this year. Um, Gosh, that makes me feel old is, that you're 21 years in it. No, mate. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I look fantastic because my moisturizer is amazing. But beyond that, <laughs> beyond that ridiculous You do have some of the best hair in the business, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, mate, it is it's wild. And I thank you for saying that, but it is, it is a struggle. <laughs> also, long hair in Singapore, why would you do it? It's so sweaty. Oh, it's I like don't know. Stuff. You're crazy, man. Uh, crazy. You know, I'll, I'll have to reevaluate at some stage in my life, surely. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I chose to do it because I wanted to dictate, uh, much like you, you know, like, where am I going to go and how am I going to get there and what do I want to achieve in the next one, three, five, 10, 20, 25 years? Yeah. And can I do that where I'm working? And if not, then what does it need um, to give me the opportunity to say that, yeah, you know, I gave it a fair go. Yeah. Um, and so I realized I could tap into my uh, my passion and my skill set and all the stuff that I've been doing for 21 years, right? Yeah, and I realized that part of that I realized with um, having had the chance to see fantastic bars all over the world, you know, and all over the US, and definitely in Australia. We've got some of the best bars going. Doesn't matter what any list says, you know. Sydney and Melbourne are two of the greatest places. I mean, Brisbane as well, and all over the shop now. Um, I'm really producing world class venues. So why would you not take that, put it in a place like Singapore where it's ripe with FNB, it's ripe with opportunities. 
mm. people here don't get the chance to do um, the kind of stuff that you can do, you know, like in Australia where you can go out hiking in the bush or you can get away from life. Like that's not such an easy thing to do in Singapore. So people eat. They love yeah. to eat. You know, it's a national obsession. Mm. Uh, and then with the the, the large mm. expat community, yeah. you know, drinking is very much part of that, going out, enjoying yourself, having a good time. And so I saw a gap in the market for us to approach that um, in the way that I, I felt was, um, you know, missing, maybe not missing, it's not the right way to put it, but certainly going to be engaging to um, people like you and me and hopefully some of the people listening to this, like someone that you just want to be in and, and have a good time and, and yeah. it, it makes sense, you know, and the place is designed so that that makes sense from the moment you step in the bar. Yeah, so what are you saying that, I mean, I guess food and drink, like cocktails and, and a bite to eat in Australia, it's kind of, we're used to doing that, I think. There's a few places mm. where you can do that. So that's not really the go in Singapore? Well, I, I wouldn't say that. Like, there are great places to eat and drink. But I think, you know, you look at the mentality of what does our cocktail bar become, you know, and there's a large focus on places um, that are solely obsessed by cocktails and cocktails only. And the food menu is kind of a throwaway, you know, and they you know, offer it for, you know, maybe 80% of the time they're open. And, it, and it's fine because it gets you through, right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, absolutely nothing wrong. But I think the next evolution of cocktail bars for me personally is the kind of space that has a strong drink program, whether it's, uh, you know, a small curated beer selection or a good wine selection, whether it's natty or traditional, you know, and obviously the cocktails are thought through and crafted, you know, and deliberate. Mm. But how can we take that same approach with the food, you know, and it's not just mm. going to be a slight throwaway. So hopefully when you get a chance to visit us in Singapore, you walk in and everything you see in front of you is what you get. So I think Japanese is a kaya where you can see the food being cooked in front of you. So there's no hidden chefs. There's no, um, you know, sort of nook in the wall, be hidden behind curtains, yeah. um, sending stuff out through a tiny, you know, mouse-shaped pass. Everything you see um, <laughs> is designed to be engaging. You know, people could go and see the pizzas being made, have a chat with myself or Zul who's making them and talk about, oh, yeah. you know, what's going on? Why is this interesting? You know, how do you do what you do? Or even, hi, how are you going? What's the sports going yeah. on today? I how, love how did you... Sorry, uh, well, yeah, sorry, we're, we're experiencing some uh, delay issues here for anyone wondering why my questions are a little bit stilted. But how did you think about getting the the cocktails together? What's the, is there a big idea behind the cocktail list, or are you just is there a theme or something? Yeah, absolutely. So I in approaching the cocktails, um, you know, yes, the cocktails have to be great, and yes, the cocktails have to be um, well thought through, well crafted. But you know when. When I looked at the space, one of the hardest things that you can do, um, I think, is to be self-aware of the limitations that you have. And here in Singapore, one of the biggest limitations is staffing. You know, and actually, I guess that's the same all over the world right now. Mm. Staffing is horrific. So the goal was to figure out how do we serve fantastic drinks at the speed in which people should be getting them. Like you shouldn't need to wait 25 minutes for a gin and soda or a Negroni, right? Um, so um, all of our drinks, um, of which there is a heady amount, uh, all five of our cocktails on our menu, um, you know, uh, are able to be made in under a minute because they either come pre-batched, pre-diluted, pre-carved, or, uh, or are very simple to just open and pour. So, um, 
doing that means that we take out the need to be able to hire staff, which we maybe are not so confident of um, them being able to showcase what it is that we want or then having to go through the process of training them um, as well in the way. I mean, we're, we're very lucky that we've got two very, very close and good friends helping us who are ultra talented uh, in the form of Andy Loudon, who was the ex-tippling club head bartender, and also yeah, Lawrence Wisniewski, who is um, uh, the ex-operations manager for Atlas, you know, and I mean, full disclosure, Andy and I used to live together, so, and he loves pizza. So for him, it's like, can I just come and help out? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> is um, he working for pizza, is he? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? He doesn't know, but he's getting getting paid in pizza. That's it. Like, he's going to invoice for pizzas this end of this That's month. excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're very lucky to have this incredible talent who kind of believes in what we do and love what it is we're trying to bring to the community. Um, and... And as time goes along and we get busier, we're hopefully going to be able to hire some more people who are here full time um, with us. And, you know, like it was with the Black Pearl, you know, you hire on personality, not on talent. Mm. And there are some fantastic personalities in Singapore. And when we get the chance to, I would love to have some of them join us um, as we get busier and busier. Is, is Singapore the place that you want to like put down roots in now and be there for a long time? Or do you have an eye on like, you know, maybe trying a different country or, or coming back home mm. to? I think it'll, you know what, like I, I would have given you a different answer like 12 months ago. Um, but I think at the moment, what I learned with building the venue and getting this uh, up and running um, is really you've got to be like what Bruce Lee said, be like water, right? Go with the flow. Yeah. Um, because at this stage, like anything can happen. You know, Singapore is an unbelievably vibrant, interesting, um, engaging place. Um, I don't know whether it's what I want to be. Uh, in a space forever. I think truthfully, I would love to go back to Australia because Melbourne's still my home and I think Australia is the most incredible country. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity there, but there's also a lot of opportunity in Europe and Eastern Europe, you know, mm. and in the Americas as well. I mean, I love, you know, me, I'm, I'm a secret American. I love fried chicken. <laughs> uh, that's, that's no secret at all. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff going on globally, which is interesting. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, let's, let's take it as a cup. Mm. I mean, if you would ask me what my dream is, uh, it is to, it's to start a place in the snow, which has amazing snow, snowfalls in Nasaka or Alaska, and go snowboarding for all six months of their winter season. That that to me is the dream because I yeah. love snowboarding, you know, and it's my it's another passion of mine. But you know, that's not a reasonable uh, assumption that I'm going to do because I'm not a professional snowboarder. Uh, I'm a fat. <laughs> Slightly fat, <laughs> overweight bartender with a passion for pizza and fried chicken and cocktails. Hey, never so, let the dream die. You know, let's, yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll keep dreaming and I'll be like Travis Rice one day. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime. What sure. advice do you have for, for bartenders? Um, perhaps they're starting out in the industry right now, but wanting to make a career of their own because you've had quite a varied kind of career um, and you seem to be making hmm. a pretty good go of things right now. Yeah, I mean – I've had the very fortunate experiences to have been um, a chef for a chunk of my life and a chef in a very good restaurant as well, a couple of very good restaurants uh, and also some not very good restaurants. Um, and then I bartended in some fantastic places, um, you know, one of which obviously was the Black Pearl, another which it is uh, employees only over in New York. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I realized after having done those two gigs, the ambassador gig and then starting a hawker stall, um, I think to have a to have a long lifespan in hospitality, you, you've got to figure out why you love um, what you love um, and just keep nurturing that. 
you know, whether it's seeing smiles on people's faces or engaging with people um, mm. or the, um, the nerdiness of deep diving into venues and venue creation and bringing forward concepts and interesting things to life. I mean, when you get to, uh, when you get to a certain age, you know, you can't bartend 13 hours a day because you've got fat tangles now, <laughs> AKA me, you know, yeah. like, so you've got to figure out um, as a young bartender, learn everything right? Get a great technical base, learn everything. But as you grow and you, you experience more things, go and put yourself out there, go and travel, go and, you know, and I, when I say go and travel, I mean, don't, don't go and wait for your, your bar to get sponsored by a gin or alcohol or whiskey brand and send you on a guest shift. Go and spend and invest money in yourself because this is your university mm. and go and go to Prague, go to, you know, uh, Israel, go to Greece, go to the Americas, uh, Asia, and go and eat and drink and develop um, what it is that you love and why does you love it. And I think at the end of all of that, you know, if you still do, having invested in yourself, that that is a good base of which to to grow from. Um, if you want to like a long term hospitality gig, and if it's not, that's all right too. You know, I've got a bunch of friends who I've worked with who I love dearly, and who I think some of the most talented crew on earth. And some of them are in IT now, and one of them's uh, one of them's um, uh, an architect. He like he builds furniture now, yeah. you know. And these are some of the biggest talents, and that's okay, you know. They figured out that that's something they love doing, and they are, you know, wanting to invest their passion, their time into. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think you know, for those that that want it, then there's every opportunity to take it, especially in Australia, especially in places that have a strong hospitality culture, first and foremost. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Last question for you, Samming. Uh, it's and this is kind of like the drinks or work question. I tend to ask everybody. What do you think it is that makes a great bar? But I guess more importantly, what makes Sammy happy in a bar? Uh, that's a great question, Sam. Great finishing question, honestly. Um, <laughs> Thanks, mate. It's I think kind a of great my job. bar. <laughs> 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 um, I think a great bar is somewhere, um, somewhere you just feel comfortable being in but that also makes you comfortable as well. Um, I think a truly great mm. bar offers you what you didn't know you wanted, but also at the highest level. And that can also still hold true to you know, the previous comment. You know? um, as for what makes me happy these days, I mean, in my bar, it's seeing people happy, seeing people come in and saying hello and meeting somebody or, you know, getting to know other people at the bar and kind of forgetting that, Everything else is around them, um, enjoying the pizza and the cocktails, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when I'm in a bar, um, I think what makes a great bar for me is just to be able to be fully in the space. Like mm. you're not thinking about emails, you're not thinking about next day's prep, you're not thinking about the lawsuits you've got pending. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's fully, it's to fully be able to be in the space and in the moment and not want to be anywhere else and to be fully with the people that you're with, uh, whether it's the bartender, whether it's your mates, or whether it's your new friends at the bar, you know, that's, that to me, that's what makes uh, a great bar, whether cocktail or dive or, you know, food shop. Mm. So, yeah. Well, uh, Sam, thank you for persevering with the, uh, the delays and being in the moment with me on this chat. Thanks for talking to me on Drinks at Work. Thank you so much for having me, Sam Bygrave. It's been lovely to chat with you. <laughs> Thanks to Sam again for the chat. I could have talked a lot longer had we not had those connection issues that we did. A big thank you to you for listening too. If you like this episode, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. You can also sign up to the Boothby newsletter at boothby.com.au. 
Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby. <laughs>